0: Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. So gone are the days of relying on your family members to give you a ride out into the city for the night. Now we've evolved to enjoy the ultimate convenience of ride sharing. Now with a simple click of a button on an app, your personal driver collects you from your location and can deliver you to your destination. It's that simple. No more having to call a family member at 3 a.m. or asking your mother-in-law to drop you at the airport. Life just got a hell of a lot easier. And the common denominator across ride-sharing services, it's Maps. I'm Sarah Butler, and today you're listening to Location Matters, where we're joined by J.D. Veldsman, founder of Chauffer, the Perth-based ride-sharing company, and Oliver Looker, General Manager of Lively, a Google Cloud Premier Partner for location-based services. Thanks, guys, so much for coming in today. First, I want to start with you, JD. So you founded Chauffeur in 2014. So that's two years after Uber had arrived in Australia, but before the market really became flooded. So what made you take that leap and start Chauffeur? And what did that first year in business look like for you?
1: We actually collaborated with Uber in South Africa prior to that, uh, prior to starting Chauffeur in Australia, and there were certain flaws in the, in the Uber business model that became apparent very quickly. Um, we, in South Africa, obviously, uh, safety and security is a big issue for a lot of people. So we started a model where we used some of my experiences, which, funny enough, also has got a mapping link, which we're going to talk about later. But um, as my insurance company, we used telemetry and telematics devices to actually track where people are. We used cameras to actually look at what was happening in vehicles and so forth. So when Uber launched in South Africa, it was a bit of a chicken-and-egg situation because you've got customers that want to download the app, but you also need to be able to fulfill on the service, and people are not going to be out there. Um, as drivers, if they don't get the right, so it's a chicken and egg. We partnered with them and actually supplied them with vehicles during that period of time, but the vehicles all had all of these safety devices um, that, that we talk about. As other drivers came on board with Uber, people started requesting our drivers specifically because of the safety and security measures that were in the vehicles. So that gave us the idea that, you know, there obviously is some benefit to having these things. We went to Uber and asked them if they would be able to accommodate us by having a separate section of the app where people actually require you know I want my kids to be picked up by somebody that's been checked and criminal checked and also a call center that actually looks inside the vehicle whilst um, my kids are being driven home and Uber didn't want to participate in that so I think that was the the start of it all for us it was the the, the safety and security side of things.
0: And so you you took those key learnings you bought them here yep. to Perth.
1: It, it actually, when we started the business in, in South Africa, it wasn't called chauffeur. We uh, we started it with the key learnings of the safety and security side of things. And um, we then launched during the World Expo in 2015 in Milan. We launched another ride-sharing service over there with the same technology. And the Department of Transport in Perth was at that World Expo. And at the World Expo, they saw what we were doing and they said, listen, they need somebody to come to Australia and actually showcase that you can be compliant when you start a ride sharing uh, business. Uber at that stage had the approach of actually just coming in here and forcing their way through. So they didn't comply to any of the rules and regulations. So we came over and... We ticked all the boxes of, let's call it the McDonald's theory, where people would know what they get themselves into every time and they know what to expect every time. So a lot of the learnings from the taxi industry paired with the learnings from what we saw in the ride-sharing industry, and we try to find a perfect medium of the two.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I know just on that compliance level and the safety level, it's so relevant at the moment. And I remember when I was living in London, it was a massive issue there with Uber as well where people were having to be screened as well, like yeah. the drivers, and it was in the press all the mm-hmm. time. And so moving on to actually building the Chauffeur app as well. So you would have considered a number of different technologies to build your base map. You ended up choosing Google Maps. Can you talk us through how you ended up with Google Maps as the technology that you chose?
1: I think the most important thing when you, when you build an application is it needs to be seamless and your clients need to... able to have a good user experience and i think we trialed a couple of different approaches with that but i think the most important thing for people using stuff like the google places api where you can just type in a, a place's name and it automatically takes you to that destination you don't have to go, go and google the street address yeah, funny that you uh, th- those type of user experiences was very important for us and none of the other, other mapping providers could actually provide you with or to complete the places api etc so i think that was the big part of why we made that decision the the user experience
0: so how do you think your industry the ride sharing industry is improving mapping functionality to enhance customer experience and it could be you know, Quote and price estimates, for example?
1: I think that's a, it's a difficult question because we are at the mercy of whoever provides the mapping service to us to improve. It's not like we're improving it ourselves. I think we learn from what happens, and I think Google being the behemoth that they are, they're always at the cutting edge of what's happening out there. And we try and find ways that other industries are using the Google Maps in better ways and try and adapt it to the ride-sharing industry. Um, so, for example, we're starting to look at parcel delivery and those type of things um, where we can actually assist um, with parcel delivery in, in a more clever way and using the Google uh, license that we've got to actually bring some smarts to the way that things are being done. So although the customer might not experience that as such, um, we, we are using those type of services all the time. From a user experience perspective, I think Google is forever improving, which allows us to improve because of it.
0: So Oliver, you've got both taxi and ride-sharing companies um, that you manage relationships with at Lively. Why do you think that they mostly turn to Google Maps in the way that they build their apps?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the taxi and ride-sharing companies, they turn to Google Maps. And I think the reason why they do that, I mean, JD sort of hit the nail on the head really, and that's around the user experience and that consumer experience. They know what they're going to get. At the same time, their end customers, so those people who are catching the cabs, calling the ride sharing uh, services, they use Google Maps in their own day to day life in terms of getting around, you know, where's that coffee shop, you know, how do I get from A to B? So it's very familiar. So having that within your, your ride sharing app, within your product, straight away you remove any sort of friction and becomes that frictionless experience. And I think at the same time, looking at ways to be able to drive efficiencies within, within these businesses, like you say, it's a bit of a, a flooded market, you know, there's quite a few options out there. Chauffeur provides an awesome, awesome service, but we still have, you know, alternatives out there. So how do we, how do we differentiate and drive efficiency? So I think using Google Cloud along with Google Maps, you can start to get those sort of data analytics and insights. And that can contribute to a greater understanding about, you know, how customers are using ride sharing services and how we can be better than our competitors. You
0: you preempted my next question, which is, yeah, just about Google Cloud offerings, because I think that that's, uh, you know, and tell me if you don't agree with me on this, but I think that you must have a lot of customers at Lively at the moment across many different industries that are now going, oh, okay, you know, we're using our maps a lot. We're, we're getting lots of insights from that. But everybody seems to be talking about cloud. Like, what is it? What can I be doing with it? When we're looking specifically at ride sharing and, you know, taxi companies as well, what products could they be turning to within the Google Cloud platform? And how can the cloud, no matter the provider, I guess as well, really help them get the insights that they need to constantly improve?
2: Yeah, exactly. So in terms of the the cloud technologies, a lot of it's around ease of use. And then honing in on Google, people sort of forget that they've been using Google Search for like the last 20 years or so. You know, Google Maps has been around for over 10 years now. So Google have been doing this for a long time. They've been collecting data and they've been learning from that. And now we have access to those those products. So it's really the ease of use of getting access to tried and, you know, tried and trusted APIs and and processes that just work. In this data economy, we're collecting more and more data, more and more things are being censored, and about the way we work and live and move around town, that mobility, it's all being captured, or you have the ability to capture it. So if we do that and put it into a system that's easy to use, um, has the tools to be able to get that, that actionable insight, and then that's really providing you with the opportunity to be that next level and that cut above and really understand your customers better and where you need to be so you can be better prepared with your services and squeeze as much efficiency out of out of the assets that you have.
0: Yeah, definitely. I am really interested in talking about sometimes, you know, the things that are completely out of your hands, things that you're at the mercy of happening. And I think we've got two very different perspectives here. JD, I'm thinking about legislative changes, things that, you know, just happen in government that end up having an implication on your business so on-demand passenger transport levy and that was where 10 percent of every fare to a maximum of ten dollars per trip was placed on companies like yours chauffeur was the first ride-sharing organization to let us know at lively that they'd be swallowing the costs how was that process for you And, and sometimes when these legislative changes come through how do you try and navigate that
1: I think from our perspective, we need to understand what the premise is of the levy and what happened in the other states before we can actually have an opinion on the levy as such. I think we built the whole chauffeur platform from the driver's seat outwards. We didn't want to be in a situation like the other ride-sharing companies where we use drivers as a means to an end. So you need to show that empathy and look at the drivers and make sure that they have something that's sustainable in what they're doing and also they enjoy what they do. So the transport levy was brought to Australia, uh, Western Australia, sorry, um, because they needed to reimburse taxi drivers and they needed to re-engineer what they did wrong when they allowed the ride-sharing industries to launch in Western Australia. So Uber launched here had a massive impact, but they were breaking every single rule that was out there. So to do that, the Western Australian government started looking at ways that they can reimburse the taxi industry for the plates that they bought. Now a lot of people don't know. Some people, rather than investing in houses and, and investing in property, uh, they invested in taxi plates. Some of those plates sold for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and above. All of a sudden, somebody that doesn't adhere to the rules, doesn't adhere to the regulations, comes in and has a massive impact on the industry. The West Australian government went and looked at what happened in the eastern states where they just said, listen, this is similar to what happened when uh, when Netflix launched, you know, blockbusters went out of their way, but Netflix launched and they didn't break every rule. So the government had to come up with some type of solution. So we actually embraced the fact that they that they charge a 10% levy because we know that that goes towards the buyback of these taxi plates and the money that the taxi drivers actually get from this is actually meaningful. If you look at the other states, some of the taxi drivers were getting ten and twelve thousand dollars at most in some of the states, in some of them they got none. There were drivers that were committing suicide it, it was actually not a great, great place to be so I actually applaud the West Australian government for the way that they've gone and done this. And the reason why we wanted to embrace that is for that very reason. If it wasn't for those drivers, we wouldn't be able to deliver the service that we've got. So the legisl- I actually think there needs to be more legislation, not less, in terms of what we're doing, which is why I think the West Australian government's taken the first step in the reform that they've gone through and actually bringing legislation to an environment where these type of ride-sharing businesses operate, in an environment where they also held accountable for what they do.
0: I for one had absolutely no idea of the kinds of impacts that, you know, the industry was having on, on people. So thank you for sharing that. And as much as these legislative changes um, can cost businesses money, technology can also have its impact too. And sometimes Oliver, I know you've had it it's been a big year, you know, for the business that you're running in terms of pricing changes. Google said last year that they were going to change their pricing model to be consumption-based. What is the impact you've seen from this, and which industries do you think have been hit the hardest?
2: Yeah, so last year in, in the region, Google changed their pricing model, so changing from a, a, an upfront annual fee, a premium plan, to uh, the new Google Maps platform, which is consumption-based, paying post-paid, paying at the end of the month. And so with that, it brought about a lot of change and a lot of positive change because it makes the the pricing a lot clearer and easy to use. Um, But it meant that customers would just have to check in on their products and make sure that they're optimised and configured correctly. With the old plan, there was a lot of capacity in terms of credits. So in some cases, what we've seen with, with, with our customers is that some of the coding might not have been as good as what it could have been. And there was a need there to optimise. What expedited that need was the changing the pricing model. Um, so it became quite clearly evident that there would be certain customers, particularly around you know tracking assets or with lots with lots of volume, would need to just recheck and, and make sure they were calling the Google Maps API correctly. So yeah, in terms of those industries, yeah, those from a ride sharing perspective, for example, or you know delivering food, um, so tracking assets. However, what we found is that through an optimization process, that it can have significant impact, and in some cases, it's actually brought costs down further to that original uplift or change from pricing model. So, really encouraged to make sure you look closely at your product in terms of how you're calling the Maps API, whether it's through Maps or Street View or Directions, um, and calling what's appropriate for your product. In some cases you may not need to make certain calls to bring back that extra bit of information that you're not using. Or you're polling your assets every second when you could probably do that every 15 seconds. So there's those sort of situations. And at Lively, you know, we're here to support our customers and support those who have got Google Maps front and centre of their product and can help with that optimization. So you really maximise the value that you get from your Maps licence.
0: And aside from optimising... Because I know that you've, you've done a lot of optimization work with different companies, but what other advantages are there that for companies specifically as well, who probably don't work with a Google Maps partner at the moment, why should they work with a Google Maps partner? What are the advantages of doing that? Because aside from the optimization, yeah. what else can Maps partners provide and what would you say to people that aren't working with a partner?
2: Yeah, I mean, Lively, as a, a Premier Maps partner, know the product inside out, so we have a very strong understanding of of the Google Maps platform. Not only that, Lively's got a rich heritage with respect to working within the location intelligence and mapping industry. So through our founding company, NGIS, we've been operating effectively in the maps game for the last 25 years. So from the days where we've had all these paper maps and looking at digitising those maps um, through to making outputs through to using digital maps to run analysis and to help with our decision making to where we are today in this mobile world, data hungry world and using maps to help navigate. So with that rich science background and heritage plus our understanding of, of Google Maps, it's really a, a unique combination that can, can help customers get more from their, from their business and their, their data investments.
0: The vibe I get from both of you is that you just got to do your best when these kind of challenges get thrown your way and you navigate them as best as you can, but you'd be pretty good at preempting things. And I want to talk about innovation in particular. JD, how important is innovation to you at Shofar and what features make your business stand out from the likes of Uber and Ola here in Perth?
1: I think at the core of our whole business is innovation. Um, We've been trying to push the envelope with different parts of our business in different fields for the last three years, and I think it's all culminated now with uh, regulatory changes creating an opportunity where we're actually going to have a level playing field before, as the, as I said earlier, there was a bit of a uh, uh, an environment where the regulations would adhere to by some of the partners, which makes it very, very diffi- difficult. So from our perspective, with the new regulatory environment, we've actually created the opportunity for our drivers to actually disrupt the rank and hail industry. So the rank and hail industry being your conventional taxi industry. One of the things that's always been kept aside, even when Uber launched, was the fact that they could not do rank and hail work because you needed a taxi meter, you needed a a camera, you needed livery on the doors, you needed lights on the roof, etc., etc., the technology that they used to do that was very archaic. For example, the taxi meters that's been used is actually calculated revolutions of wheels and stuff like that. We've actually developed, with Oliver being part of the team of what we developed, our own taxi meter, which actually uses Google technology to run, so it's no longer the archaic side of things. And because of that... We can actually go and assist all these ride-sharing drivers to actually enter that industry as well, if they wanted to. Which is this industry, which has never been disrupted as such. Everything that you can do, we try and do to build a business, not through our competitors, because it's a place for everybody, but around them to find unique opportunities. And that part of it is, for example, the, the rank and hail side of things is something that they've never entered into. We've also developed online portals where we go to the likes of the aged care community and we assist the aged care community to find drivers that have been trained in the manual handling of the aged. So all of a sudden the likes of Silver Chain and Chorus and all those companies start using our services because through one platform online they can call drivers and they know that the drivers have been trained and they know exactly what to expect. I think that's always been at the core of of what we do at It's that you know what you're going to get. And again, that McDonald's theory, how can go anywhere in the world and it will taste the same. So you've got that safety part of it, but then you've also got the technology part on the other side. So all of those bits and pieces creates a core of our business, which we're still waiting for somebody else to come and disrupt us on that, but that's part that makes us pretty unique.
0: And aside from innovation, sustainability is an important topic. Sharing transport contributes social capital and reduces our carbon footprint especially with the likes of Uber Pool, allowing passengers to travel together. What's in store for the future of chauffeur? Do you have any plans to expand into any of the other Australian states and territories?
1: Definitely so. I think um, we've been working, as I mentioned earlier, to create a core part of our business that is sustainable, being the contract works that we do currently for the likes of the aged care community, the likes of the car dealerships that are out there, And once you get that core right, that core is basically in existence in other states as well. So you're not going out there with a hope and a prayer of, you know, somebody's going to take up your services when you get there. We're definitely looking at Melbourne next. And I think one of the key reasons why we also wanted to go to Melbourne is because of the fact that it replicates all the core services that we've got here already. So we could just go and switch on a lot of these services. And it doesn't have the intricate problems that you've got with the high rises and stuff in terms of GPS connection issues that Sydney has got, and we don't have the the big money behind us yet to be able to sort out all those problems. So I think for for the time being, it will be going into the Melbourne market, then going into the Brisbane market, and taking it from there.
2: And, and I think you know, with you know that growth strategy that you have and those sort of ambitions, you know, being able to have lively to help support you on that journey, particularly as a Google Premier partner, you get to leverage all the partner benefits as, as Chauffeur grows, particularly when you look at some of the volume tier discounts. Yep. So the greater usage that you have, the greater buying power that you have. Yep. So you start to see significant discounts as you use more of the Google Maps. So that's another sort of value. A value add helps mm. with the cost, as you expand and get greater usage. So Lively is very proud to be supporting Chauffeur in that way.
0: I want to finish on a big question. I know that when we got, you know, writing this podcast and and I was thinking about what we might like to cover, it's like I had you in my head, Oliver, saying don't try and boil the ocean. But I wanted to include this question because I think that you could do like a day-long event on this with lots of different ride-sharing companies and taxi companies as well. But just we'll try and keep it brief. I want to know what both of you think the future of ride-sharing looks like here in Australia and, you know, taking into account all sorts of things. We've seen ride-sharing companies turn into food delivery companies, for example. So particularly you, JD, working in this space, founder of Chauffeur, what do you think the future of ride-sharing looks like in Australia?
1: I think that as the regulatory environment starts catching up with the innovation and the technology that's out there. We've got to get to a new normal in terms of uh, something that is a combination of what the taxi industry was and something that the ride industry is now. I think it will be a combination of the two. And the reason why I say that is... The ride-sharing industry has created massive inefficiencies as well, which is why cities like London and the rest of Europe has actually stopped Uber from doing what they're doing because there's massive inefficiencies. The carbon footprint is too big because everybody and anybody can just be out there and, and driving. And people are willing to wait seven minutes for a vehicle, but you supply them a service. In three minutes, all of a sudden, to, to be able to do that, you know, you've got 6,000 cars out on the road and not 3,000. So all those inefficiencies, I think, will come to the front. And I think as people start looking at the carbon footprint of what they're doing, the legislatory environment will catch up with that. So that's the first thing. I think we will definitely move to a world where mobility as a service will kick in. Now, mobility as a service is where all your different transport services are integrated. We're currently working on a trial in, in Western Australia at the moment where we're integrating the chauffeur service with one of the train stations because there's massive inefficiencies with the fact that you use a 60-seater bus at 10 o'clock at night to take two people home. So it will definitely be on the basis of a subscription service where people pay for their mobility on a subscription base and they pay $100, $200 a month, whatever it is that they're going to be paying. They pay that for all the different services that are out there you will see apps like ourselves start integrating with public transport where a vehicle will actually take you to a train and the train will take you to the city and then a car will pick you up from that point onwards. So all of this integration, I think, is on our doorstep. There's a Mobility as a Service Alliance that's been set up out of Finland. Um, They've already started running with this. And in Europe, this is the way that things are happening at the moment because of that carbon footprint that we are creating with what we're doing. So definitely that's a big part of what we're going to be seeing. I also think because of the subscription-based model, you're going to see almost like the telecommunication networks have got a roaming model. So you'll start paying for your subscription here, but the technology will be integrated. When you go to Europe, you'll just be booking it on the exact same service and paying a roaming fee because it will be integrated as such. So we will see our networks start looking like telecommunication networks in the next, I would say, five, five to seven years because of that integration that's required all of the governments and associations are embracing mobility as a service at at this stage and everybody wants to see this work and i think more so the integration that that will the innovation that that would bring to the efficiencies of traffic networks etc etc so yeah i think that's what what we're working on and what we want to do asset utilization in terms of Services like ours is massive, uh, it was a massive issue because the vehicles are inefficient for a big part of the day. So the integration of that with parcel delivery and stuff like that, and that, we discussed earlier, is also going to be a big thing because companies like Amazon are starting to do same-day deliveries with you know what they're doing currently. Um, so all of that parcels and stuff like that will start to get integrated in this whole world of mobility as a service.
0: Sounds like there's a lot of industries there that saw themselves as being very separate from each other that are starting to work together.
1: Definitely.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I see that. There's that convergence with JD, what he was saying there around the you know, the, the third-party logistics and the 3PL, you see that. So with the, you know, looking at the supply chains and moving assets around, it's a great opportunity to be able to get the most out of your assets during non-peak hours. So I think that... Seeing that convergence, you're going to get more of that. I think coupled with that is obviously you know automation in the transport space. to be able to do that effectively though is you know capturing more and more data and training and learning models to support automation. and I mean it's not just at the mechanical level, but it would be in the the tools and the systems to provide the customer experiences as well. So I think you know making sure you get in place you know some sort of strategy to be able to be prepared and ready for that but also make the most out of that and having maps as part of that process I think is is not just a, a want it should be a, a need there needs to be some strategy and, and thinking around that now it will happen I mean what's the latest term
1: for mobility as a service
2: is it mass
1: yeah mass yeah yeah the mass service everybody thought that it would not reach Australia in the short to medium term yet The world came together two weeks ago in Melbourne, the mobility as a service world, and everybody from all over actually met up in Melbourne. So um, it's definitely on our doorstep, and it's definitely something that Australia can can lead the way on a lot of the stuff that needs to happen because Australia, because of the vast size of the country, has got massive transport deserts that can't be covered by conventional public transport, and that's the reason why you've got a lot of people still owning cars. Whereas if you integrate the world of ride sharing with the world of public transport all of a sudden these transport deserts don't exist anymore so it's definitely on our doorstep
2: yeah Uh, it sounds like a really exciting exciting opportunity and and prospect
0: guys thank you so much for both being here today it's been a really interesting episode and lots of amazing insights and like i mentioned before some of which i did not know about so jd thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with us today And Oliver, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us as well. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about Shofar, about Google Maps and Cloud for Transport, and how to maximise a return on your maps investment, just visit our podcast page for links to all the resources that you need. Join us for our next episode. where We will be joined by Geoscience Australia to talk about all things GDA 2020, what it is, why you need to know about it, and how to get ready for it. You can subscribe to Location Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com dot com dot au